Well, hey, everybody. Everybody survived Christmas? Yeah? Well, I'm Jared Walker. It's always great to, to be uh, teach here at River Glen again. Our history with River Glen goes all the way back to 2010 when Ben Davis, lead pastor here, contacted me and asked if I would consider being a part of helping start a new church somewhere in the greater Milwaukee area. And that was Legacy Christian Church that launched in Menominee Falls in 2011. And it's cool to see how uh, the church has grown to become one church in multiple locations now. So whether you're joining in Waukesha or the Pewaukee campus where my family worships or online, welcome. Hopefully you'll be with us again next week as we start a new series called The Vow. We'll be talking about relationships and principles to help us succeed in relationships. And whatever your relationship status is, whether it's single, married, single again, or you just describe it as it's complicated, there's some principles that we'll be able to apply, so hopefully you'll join us over the next few weeks for that series. Well, today as we approach the end of 2019 and the beginning of a new year, we're going to talk about guardrails. Something we probably don't give a lot of thought to because we see them so often. Maybe we don't even notice that they're there anymore until we really need them. Or in my case, a few years ago, we notice when they're not there and we wish that they were. A few years ago, I was attending a pastor's conference in Colorado. Brian Hoffmeister, pastor at Lake Point Church in Muskego, he was attending the same conference. And so we decided to make our travel arrangements together. We got there early enough that we had a free afternoon before the conference started. We decided to go hiking. We're in Colorado. There's supposedly beautiful views. We had no idea where to hike, though. So we stopped at a visitor center. We said, hey, where would be a great place to hike that we could get some views? And so the the elderly ladies there at the visitor center, they suggested Mount Evans. We'd never heard of Mount Evans, but we said, hey, that sounds like fun. So there were a number of things they didn't tell us about Mount Evans that later we thought might have been helpful. For example, they didn't tell us that Mount Evans is one of the 14ers in Colorado. What that means is it's one of the highest peaks in Colorado. The mountains that are above 14,000 feet at their peaks in elevation, those are the 14ers. Yeah, Mount Evans is one of those. We also didn't know that the road that would take us up there, one of the, or it's known as the highest paved road in North America. In fact, we have a photo of that road. If there was ever a road where you wanted a guardrail, would this not be a road that you wish there was a guardrail? Okay, notice as you got near the top, it kind of got narrower. There's no center stripe. Okay, some places it looks like part of the road has washed away. And yeah, even though there is a drop off of thousands of feet, certain death, there is no guardrail. We have another photo of the road. This was apparently a little further down the mountain because the road's a little wider. It still has a a center stripe. And before this trip, I would not have described myself as somebody with a fear of heights. I wouldn't even have said that, you know, driving along a drop-off makes me uncomfortable. But I was very uncomfortable driving on this road. Notice here, because of the incline and the curb, you can only see a few feet ahead of you. And so what I started doing is when I would come to an outside curve like that one is I would kind of take it on the inside. Well, Brian, who was with me, he started giving me a hard time. He said, Jared, you can't see what's around that corner. There may be a car in that lane that we're going to hit head on if you keep cutting your corners like that. I said, Brian, you're right. I can't see what's around the corner, but I can see what is right over there, and that is certain death, and so I'm taking the insides. He did not let me drive down the mountain. 
and I discovered it was no more comforting to be in the passenger seat <laughs> along the edge of those huge drop-offs. So I really came to appreciate the value of guardrails that day in Colorado. Today we're going to talk about guardrails based on something we read in the Bible, and we're going to take a little bit of a broader approach to what a guardrail is and apply it not just to drop-offs that mean sudden death, but other dangerous territory. We're going to unpack something that we read in the book of Ephesians in the Bible. Now, the book of Ephesians is called this because the early church leader, the Apostle Paul, wrote it as a letter to the Ephesian Christians, followers of Jesus who lived in the town of Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. Now, a little bit about the city of Ephesus. There was a temple there to the goddess Artemis. Artemis was the goddess of fertility. So people would go to the temple. They would worship by paying for the services of prostitutes. It's a little bit about the city of Ephesus. So that's the context to which Paul is writing here in Ephesians. And in chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, Paul writes this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We're going to come back to those in a little bit and even explore a specific example of what Paul talks about there. He gives us an example in the next verse. But let's unpack a little bit more about this concept of a guardrail applied in areas beyond bridges and protecting us from oncoming traffic and all of that. Let's think about other ways that other kinds of guardrails can help us avoid disaster. Maybe you feel like you have stepped off into some places of disaster in your life. Places you never thought you would be, but you find yourself and you're full of regret. Many people who had extramarital affairs would tell you they never planned to ruin their marriage. They never planned to cheat on their spouse. Many people who've ended up in bankruptcy would tell you they never planned to ruin themselves financially. People charged with vehicular manslaughter while intoxicated would say they never intended to drive and hurt anyone while under the influence. The problem is they didn't plan not to do those things. They didn't have guardrails in place to protect them from ending up in disaster. And here in Ephesians, Paul gives us some instructions. In verse 16, he says, it's because the days are evil. There are disasters all over the place waiting to happen. And we need to be prepared if we're going to avoid them. So we're going to talk about some principles about guardrails, if we're going to establish guardrails and help avoid disaster in our life. Now, let's think about some specific areas where we may need to have guardrails to help us avoid disaster in the coming year, in 2020. What about relationships? Would you like to avoid disaster when it comes to your relationships, your finances? How about your marriage? We're going to think about those as we talk about guardrails. And I want to give credit where it's due. Several years ago, a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley at North Point Church in Georgia did a whole series about this concept of guardrails and what the Bible says about them. And it really opened my eyes to this concept and helped me to see that I needed to establish some guardrails in certain areas of my life. And so we're going to do that by looking at some principles concerning guardrails. And here's the first one I want to talk about. Guardrails are meant to direct and protect. Direct and protect. I mean, if you think about it, that's the two purposes of guardrails, right? To direct you, to keep you on the road that you're intending to be on, to keep you in safe territory headed toward your, de your destination. 
but they're also designed to protect, to protect you from whatever is on the other side, the drop-off, the edge of the bridge. Maybe it's oncoming traffic if it's a divided highway. Guardrails are there to direct and protect, first principle. The second one, again, from what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, is that guardrails are about being careful and wise. Remember what Paul wrote. He said, be very careful then. In your notes, go ahead and circle the word careful. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Circle the word wise. See, Paul could have said, do what's right, don't do what's wrong, but he knew that sometimes making it all about right and wrong wasn't the most helpful thing for us. That we needed to think about this when it comes to avoiding disaster in the context of wise and careful. Let's think about this when it applies to our kids and what happens. Let's imagine that up here on this platform is right, okay? And everything out here, stepping off here, is wrong. So if we tell our kids, do what's right, stay up here and you're okay. But if you step off here, you're in wrong territory. That's wrong, okay? This is right, that's wrong. We tell our kids that, where do they go? Where do they live? About right here, all right? I'm right. You remember from the long road trips, right? You hear from the back seat, Mom, he's touching me. And so you say, hey, stop touching your sister. Pretty soon you hear again, Mom, and you turn back, and there's his finger right there. I'm not touching her, right? But it's not just our kids that do this. We're so afraid of missing out, of looking like the weird one, that we will eat up every little bit of right that we can just as long as we're not technically stepping over into what is wrong. We'll eat up every space of what is right. This may be right, but is it wise? Is it careful? In fact, I'm going to take a step back because it's a little bit nerve-wracking to be right there. But that's where we will live life, one misstep away from disaster, and then we wonder what got us there. So guardrails are about what's wise and careful. It's not enough to just think about right and wrong because oftentimes that still allows us to get too close to the edge. One more principle about guardrails, and it's this. Guardrails only work if they're placed in the safe zone. Think about that. If you're driving on a highway and there's a ravine with a guardrail, the guardrail is not several feet out into the ravine. The guardrail is right up against the road. In fact, sometimes it's even almost eating up space on the road. But when you're driving on it, you never think, man, I wish they'd put that guardrail out about six feet. That would have allowed me to really get right up to the edge of this road so I could have taken advantage of, of all the space that the road provides. We don't do that on the road, but we do that in life, right? Again, if I decide to step back and put a guardrail, there's something in me that pushes against that and says, ah, look what I'm having to give up. Putting up a guardrail means that I technically give up a little bit of what is right so that I can be safe. For example, let's apply this to the workplace. Maybe you frequently work, you end up spending a lot of time at work with someone of the opposite sex. And so you decide, put up a guardrail. I'm not going to flirt. I mean, flirting, I mean, you haven't really crossed the line with flirting, but you know what? I'm going to put a guardrail up. But what if somebody suggested, you know what? If you really want to stay in a territory that's safe, what if, you, what if you step back and say, you know what? That particular individual, I'm just, I'm just not ever going to go to lunch alone with that person. 
There's something in us that says, there's nothing wrong with lunch. That's just ridiculous, right? And you're right. There's nothing wrong with lunch. But lunch may bring us right to the edge of disaster. There's something in us that doesn't want to give that up. But we need to recognize that for a guardrail to be wise and careful, for a guardrail to truly be able to direct and protect, it needs to be back in the safe zone. And we have to be okay with giving up a little bit of what's in between. Even if everybody else in the fraternity, even if all the rest of my coworkers, even if the rest of the family live there, I decide, you know what, it's okay for me to give that up for the sake of wise and careful. Well, now that we've established some guardrails, I want to give you a couple of cautions as well. Because truthfully, the idea of guardrails is nothing new. People have been exercising this principle, maybe giving it different terms for centuries. But there are times that followers of Jesus have abused the concept of a guardrail. And so I want to give you some cautions about that. One mistake we can make when it comes to guardrails is coming to the conclusion that because I've placed my guardrail in a particular spot, everyone else needs to have their guardrail in the same place. So the first caution is this, my guardrails are not law. We see an example of this in another letter that Paul wrote that's part of the Bible. It's called 1 Corinthians because it's the first letter in the Bible that Paul had written to followers of Jesus in the town of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you may want to write that in your notes because we don't have time to read it now, but you may want to read it when you get home. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, here's what's happening. In Corinth, there were lots of temples to other gods, lots of opportunities to worship other gods, and some people who had decided to follow Jesus had worshipped other gods before. They decided, though, as followers of Jesus, they were only going to worship the one true God moving forward, good decision on their part. And they decided to place a guardrail to protect them from stepping off into disaster and worshiping those other gods again. Sometimes when people wanted to worship those other gods, they would offer food as a sacrifice. They would give up food, take it to the temple, to that god or goddess as a way of, of worshiping that god or goddess. And then sometimes that food would be sold in the marketplace. So these followers of Jesus who did not want to step off into that danger territory of worshiping those other gods, they said, you know what? I'm just not comfortable eating food that has been offered to those gods. So if there's food that's been offered to another god, I'm not comfortable eating it. And that's where they put the guardrail. There were other followers of Jesus, though that wasn't their backstory. They hadn't worshipped other gods. And so to them, when they went to the market, I mean, an apple is an apple. Meat is meat. And so they were comfortable eating food, whether it had been offered to, to idols or not. And they're there developed some tension between the groups because of where their guardrails were placed. And so Paul writes and he says, you know what? It's right that food is food. Vegetables are vegetables. Meat is meat. So it doesn't really matter whether or not that food has been sacrificed to idols. So if your conscience lets you eat it, that's fine. Eat it. So just because I have established a guardrail in a certain place, don't eat food sacrificed to idols, doesn't mean that I have to expect other people or that I should expect other people to have their guardrails in the same place. Now, there's almost a, a secondary caution that's introduced here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 because Paul's conclusion is interesting. Paul says, so when it comes to right, when it comes to where the guardrails are, just because your guardrails are in one place doesn't mean that everybody else's have to be in the same place. However, he said, if I were with someone who was uncomfortable eating food that had been sacrificed to an idol, 
I wouldn't eat it for their sake. Even though my conscience is clear, even though that's not a guardrail I have, Paul suggests that we respect, that we honor, that we even encourage the guardrails of others. Why would I want to push someone's guardrail that they've put into place? Well, I said earlier that we were going to take a look at a specific example that Paul gave in Ephesians chapter 5 of the principles of the guardrail at work. So let's go ahead and take a look at verse 18 in Ephesians chapter 5. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let's unpack this for a little bit. Debauchery. That's a word that's basically kind of a catch-all for anything immoral, anything wrong. So if we come back over here, debauchery is everything out here. Paul says, okay, you live in Ephesus, there's a lot of debauchery, there's a lot of immoral that happens. What's he say? The days are evil, days are very evil. So if you're going to avoid all that stuff out there, here's a guardrail to put into place. Don't get drunk. Now, he doesn't make it about right or wrong. Remember, he's talking about what's wise and careful. Because if I'm under the influence of a substance... I'm no longer making decisions that are wise and careful. That substance is influencing my decisions, and I may misstep if I'm under the control of some substance. So Paul says, go ahead and put the guardrail at not getting drunk. That's where you stay safe, wise, careful. Now, if I'm going to apply this to myself as an individual, I may actually have to decide that I need to move the guardrail a little further back. If I struggle with alcoholism, drunk is not the proper guardrail because I know that one drink takes me into disaster. So I may have to step back and say, you know what? My guardrail is going to be at not drinking alcohol at all. That's what's safe and wise for me. But applying what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I should support and encourage other people's guardrails. So if my guardrail is don't get drunk, But I have a friend whose guardrail is don't drink any alcohol. If I'm with that person, wouldn't it be wise and careful for me for the sake of my friend to say, you know what, I don't need to drink either. I want to encourage and support that guardrail, not challenge them almost to step over the guardrail that they've put into place. So that's the first caution about guardrails. My guardrails are not law. But another caution about guardrails is this. My guardrails do not make me better than others. Zomi, almost a, a deeper look at that first caution about me thinking other people need to have the same guardrails as me. My guardrails are law. Taking it either, even further, sometimes in the church, people have come to view themselves as better than others because of where they put their guardrails. If my guardrail is further back than yours, then I must be a better follower of Jesus. We could spend a lot of time talking about this, but there was a group of people that Jesus had some conflict with during his days here on earth. If you've read much of what we call the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Gospel means good news. We call those four books the Gospels because they tell us the good news about the life of Jesus. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we read there, we see that Jesus often butted heads with a group called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they were very committed to the principle of the guardrail. They had the law... That clearly laid out for them what is right and what is wrong. But they were so afraid of stepping into disaster that they put up all kinds of guardrails 
to create a, a safe and wise place for them to live. For example, the law said the Sabbath, the seventh day, should be a day of rest. So they created all kinds of guardrails about how far you could walk, what kinds of tasks around the house were considered work and what weren't. And they decided that those guardrails were law. And if you stepped over any of their guardrails, not only did they view themselves as better than you, but they viewed, yourself, viewed you as having stepped off into disaster as though you had gone into wrong territory. Jesus never criticized them for having guardrails. He criticized them for demanding their guardrails of others, telling other people they need to have the same guardrails, and for viewing themselves as better than other people because of the guardrails we have in, that they had in place. Now, in Mark chapter 3, we see an example of this, Jesus clashing with the Pharisees. Beginning in verse 1, another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Jesus knows what's, what they're thinking and that healing they would consider as work and crossing over one of their guardrails. So Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, those who were loyal to Herod, the Roman ruler that was in place. They began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So the Pharisees are ready to have Jesus killed. Why? Because he didn't have his guardrails in the same place that they did. Now, it's almost ironic here they are plotting murder, but they view themselves as better than Jesus because Jesus crossed a guardrail when he healed somebody on the Sabbath. How dare he? But we're the righteous ones because we didn't cross our guardrails. We're only plotting to kill someone on the Sabbath. That's okay. It's important to remember that where my guardrails are, that does not make me better than anybody else. I want to take a moment here to make sure we understand why guardrails are so important. Because here's what I know about you, what I know about me, what I know about all of us. None of us plans to screw up our lives. No groom in the middle of the ceremony as he's repeating his vows to his bride in the back of his head is thinking, man, I can't wait till this is over because I'm really going to mess up this marriage. You've seen some bad ones, but you just watch. This is going to be the worst ever. First, we're going to have a bunch of kids so that it's really a mess when this thing explodes. That's never anybody's plan. Nobody plans to mess up a marriage, but a lot of people plan not to because they don't put any guardrails in place. Nobody plans to, to purposely mess up their bodies physically, but a lot of people have because they never plan not to. They didn't put any guardrails in place. Nobody plans to mess up any kind of a, a friendship or an important relationship, maybe a relationship with a child or a grandchild or a parent. I mean, nobody sits in their room and says, how can I sabotage this relationship? Nobody thinks to themselves, what would be the best way to break my mama's heart? It's never a plan to. We just don't plan not to. Because we don't establish guardrails. And please don't insult yourself by saying, ah, you know, I'll just trust God to protect me. This is how God protects us. I mean, he spoke through the Apostle Paul who wrote down these instructions for us to, to put up these guardrails. 
Not because God is trying to take something from us. Remember why guardrails are there? To direct, to try and keep us on the path toward the good things he has in store for us down the road. And to protect so that we don't end up in disaster, in dangerous territory. And so God speaks through the words of the Apostle Paul here to say, look, I want you to be careful about how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not as foolish, but as wise. Take advantage of every opportunity. I want you to, to recognize what I have in store for you in your life, and I want you to establish boundaries. These are for you to help you. So that when everybody around you says, oh, wait a minute, what do you mean you're not going to whatever? Oh, is it because you're a Christian? Do you think there's something wrong with this? Somehow in your own language, you're able to put in your own words and, and say honestly and respectfully, no, 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 I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not saying you can't. I'm not saying you're wrong or bad because you're choosing to do that. But, but this is where I have established a standard for myself that so informs my conscience now that if I bump up against it, I feel like I've done something wrong. I've allowed this guardrail to be there to protect me. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I'm making this choice. Establishing that standard for me, I've decided this is how God wants to guard me from whatever's on the other side that will bring disaster. And maybe as we've been talking this morning, something specific has come to mind. I mean, maybe it's the alcohol thing, the example that, that Paul gave that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 5. But it may have had nothing to do with alcohol. Maybe some other area of your life where you know you're making some decisions that are flirting with disaster. I mean, maybe it is something relationally. Maybe it's something financially some financial decisions you're making or something you've been considering to do financially that you know is going to take you to the edge of disaster. Maybe it's in your marriage. Again, knowing what we know about us, maybe there's somebody at work that there's kind of been a connection and, and you said, you know what, I would never cheat on my spouse, but you know, this is kind of fun. I, I kind of want to see where this goes. I want to see how far, far it goes. And so you allow yourself to get all the way here so that if your spouse ever finds out, you can say, but we didn't do anything. But recognize that living right here is just one misstep away from disaster. And here's the thing about our culture. Our culture mocks us for putting guardrails back here, saying, what kind of ridiculous person are you? There's nothing wrong with whatever. But then they tear us apart when we step off in disaster and say, how could you destroy your marriage like that? We need to be okay with saying, yeah, I'm the weird one, but I'm putting my guardrail right here where it's wise and careful. So what would it look like for us to put some guardrails in the ground that would be wise and careful to pr protect us from disaster? Maybe there's something in your mind where you've kind of been thinking, <clears throat> almost like a voice going off. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying to you, this is the area where you need to put this into practice. I want to rescue you. I don't want to keep you from something good. I'm trying to keep you from something bad because I have something really good in store for you down the road. If you'll stay on the road, directed and protected toward my plan, you need a guardrail to help get you there. What if this guardrail that you decide to establish today is the thing that in 2020 saves your marriage? My hunch is whatever came to mind is where God would like to start with you in putting a guardrail in your life. Here's what I know. Here's what I can promise you. Based on what we read in Scripture and based on what I've heard just in experience, it's been very rare that I've had someone say to me, you know, I regret putting that guardrail in place all those years ago. 
But I've heard from many, many people say, man, I sure wish I'd had one there. Sure would have helped me avoid a lot of pain and a lot of disaster since then. In fact, I'd like to share with you a personal story from someone, a story of regret when it comes to guardrails. It's a friend of mine I had a conversation with several years ago. We were talking about guardrails. I knew they had some regrets from their life. And I asked them to, to write down their story so that I could share it anonymously. Here's my friend's story. It all started back in the late 1970s, at which time I was the victim of an extremely degrading, humiliating sexual assault. Looking back, I suppose my behavior following the assault came from the humiliation and never telling anyone what had happened to me and choosing to bury it. Not a good choice. That was the beginning of a 20-year path of self-destruction, including massive abuse of alcohol, cocaine, and myself as evidenced by sexual promiscuity. At the time, I just didn't care or was too screwed up to be aware of how consequences would devastate me as I grew older. It was nothing for me to party five out of seven nights a week. That included a multitude of different sexual partners as well. Some would last for a couple of months, nothing longer than a year or so. If I was involved in a long-term relationship, I continued to be promiscuous, always living on the edge. This continued for 20 years. I was a mess. Then April 7th, 1998 came along. I was called into my doctor's office to talk about some test results. Then came the sledgehammer. He told me I was HIV positive. Once he said those words, I never heard another thing he said. Not only was I HIV positive, my lab values placed me in the AIDS stage. I was told that people with my lab counts usually end up in a nursing home to live out their last days. But I trusted my doctor. He put me on a medication cocktail that was worse than chemo. How could I have been so stupid, so careless, so screwed up? I feel like God allowed me to get HIV as a symbol of a huge stop sign for me to stop doing the things that I was doing. Happily, I'm here today and at an undetectable level of HIV in my blood. Things are well. As the song goes, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. I'm here in the flesh to assure you that this is the absolute truth, and I am forever grateful that he never gave up on me. I wish I had some guardrails up in my life when I was younger. It's never too late. One of the things I love most about that story is the story of redemption that's there because I, I know where my friend is today. She's very involved in her church. She loves Jesus. She's serving others. But you can hear the pain and regret of saying, ah, I wish I'd had some guardrails in place that would have spared me pain, and disaster. And maybe 2020 will be the year that we stop flirting with disaster. We stop living on the edge and we put some guardrails in place that are careful and wise to keep us on the path toward the good things that God has in store for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reminder of the importance of guardrails. Thank you for the words of Paul that remind us it's not just about right and wrong. It's also about what's careful and wise. Father, help us to listen to the promptings of your spirit that show us areas where we need to, to put guardrails in the ground, something that can keep us on your path, that can direct us and protect us to the good things you have in store for us. Father, may we be consistent when it comes to our own guardrails, and may we encourage, support, and respect 
the guardrails of others. Father, ultimately, thank you for the redemption that's available to us in Jesus. Thank you for the fact that even though we've stepped into disaster, we can have the slate wiped clean because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Oh, Father, we give you thanks for that, and we pray in his name.